Welcome to The GAC Files, a podcast about the people, issues, and ideas driving Global Affairs Canada. Bienvenue au dossier d'AMC, un balado sur les gens, les enjeux et les idées qui animent Affaires mondiales Canada. And now, introducing your host, Global Affairs Canada's Deputy Minister of International Trade, John Hannaford. Et maintenant, voici votre animateur, John Hannaford sous-ministre du Commerce international d'Affaires mondiales Canada. It's my enormous pleasure to be the host today of an important discussion with respect to mental health. Je m'appelle John Hannaford et je suis le nouveau sous-ministre du Commerce international et je suis l'animateur aujourd'hui d'une discussion importante concernant la santé mentale. Very fortunate today to have two colleagues who will be engaging in this conversation. Heather Depenta, who is our Director of Values and Ethics and Workplace Wellbeing here at the department, and my old colleague, Louise Blay, who was a friend um, from uh, my first posting, I think it was maybe her first posting too, uh, in Washington some 20 years ago. Uh, Louise is now one of our ambassadors and is Deputy Permanent Representative uh, at our mission uh, in New York to, uh, to the United Nations. Uh, so welcome to both of you to my office. Um, and it's uh, terrific that this will be my first of these podcasts. I, I want to thank my colleague and friend, uh, David Morrison, who started this process some time ago. And I think it is, it's an opportunity for us to explore issues of importance to us as a community and uh, as a department uh, in real depth. And uh, it's entirely suitable that we would start with issues of mental health. Évidemment, les questions de santé euh, mentale sont absolument essentielles pour euh, nous comme communauté et comme euh, un ministère. And for me, as, as both an individual and a manager, it's something that has been very important. I myself have struggled with issues relating to anxiety, and I know that this is something that uh, is relevant for a lot of people. And I think we're very fortunate to have today uh, Heather, who can speak to us a bit more about some of the services and the the uh, supports that are available to individuals as we are uh, dealing with issues pertaining to our, our mental health, but also Louise, who is here to discuss in a bit more detail some of the experiences she has had. So we'll start with Heather. Uh, Heather, I just wanted you to uh, talk to us a little bit about really the subject that we're discussing today. What do we mean by mental health? Well, thank you very much, first of all, for having this topic. And, you know, I'm trying to control my own anxiety and being part of this <laughs> podcast. Uh, um, well, mental health um, and mental um, illness are on a spectrum. In fact, so we can have people who are experiencing um, mental illness, but are still perfectly functional within the workplace. And mental health is one of these aspects that needs to be supported, like our physical health. We talk about having, um, getting exercise and eating well and looking after ourselves, but we rarely talk about what that means from a mental health perspective. And how does one actually look after ourselves? Um, and you're absolutely right. People can have moments where they they might not be doing as well as they are um, usually. Um, you see that when you're exercising and every now and then you might get a sprained muscle as an example and then you get some physio and you get some support and then you're back at your exercise again. Um, but for some reason, mental health is one of these topics that has a lot of stigma related to it and it's not something we talk about as readily. 
So one of the programs that is um, under our particular division is the Employee Assistance Program, uh, where we have counselors that provide uh, support to employees, including locally engaged staff around the world and here in Ottawa. And um, last year we had about uh, 2,000 individual sessions with employees. So it's not a unique thing. It's not just a couple of people having the odd challenge. There's a lot of people reaching out, and we're glad that people are reaching out. This is part of having a healthy organization. Um, our conflict management services, same thing. We provide a lot of different support to employees to help, you know, with some challenges that they might be going through. And as an organization to continue to have conversations just like this one to encourage people uh, to talk about it. And it's okay. It's okay to talk about. It's not a subject that should be kept, uh, you know, behind closed doors or would be awkward to discuss. Um, so I was thrilled to uh, to be part of this, especially to hear uh, Louise's story as well, because I think employees generally and people generally need to understand it's okay. It's a, something that we can talk about. Hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And Peut-être on peut discuter un peu des, des sujets en général qui sont difficiles pour les membres de notre euh, ministère. Quels sont les plus grands défis euh, nos employés l'amènent à de différentes difficultés. La plupart du temps, ben, à peu près 50% du temps, c'est autour d'un aspect personnel. Alors, c'est quelque chose autour de la vie, la famille, par exemple. Euh, D'avoir des enfants, peut-être des enfants à l'université, ou qu'ils ont de différents aspects dans leur vie, ou ils supportent des, des enfants, puis aussi leurs parents âgés aussi, puis sont dans le milieu de tout ça. Euh, alors, des aspects personnels, et 50% du temps, c'est des aspects autour de le milieu de travail. Peut-être c'est de difficultés avec un superviseur, peut-être c'est de difficultés avec un collègue. Um, c'est rare de voir quand même um, une problématique peut-être dans le milieu de travail qui n'a pas d'influence sur la vie personnelle ou le renverse. Mm -hmm. On est comme une personne humaine mm -hmm. qui est... Un, on, nous sommes toujours en train de, de balancer la vie puis le travail. Mm -hmm. euh, la plupart du temps, quand c'est autour de le milieu de travail, c'est la charge de travail qu'on qu entend le plus. Mm -hmm. euh, ici, à Affaires mondiale, j'ai jamais vu la, la, comme les employés sont dédiés à leur travail. Ils travaillent fort. Puis, on a tellement de différents mandats aussi. Alors, euh, plus tard autour de ça, c'est la, la charge de travail. And what, in your experience, sorry, what should we as, as managers or as colleagues or as, as people are being supervised, how should we deal with these situations when we feel that there is a, a problem of mental health in our workplace, whether it's, you know, an individual or it's a group who are experiencing these sorts of challenges? What can we do? That is a great question. I think, um, you know, a manager can have a moment of panic, I think, when an employee comes forward and says, look, I'm really struggling with something and I don't know how to deal with it. There's that immediate freeze of I don't know what to say and what's the right thing to say. Um, be supportive. Be helpful. Be understanding. Be caring. And I think that applies whether it's a manager who's listening to a situation or for the organization. Be caring and understanding um, and that this is a normal thing for someone to be going through. And I think those constant conversations about this topic, just like this one, will help address the stigma related to it so more of us can have those conversations more easily. Right. Right. Well, 
you know, one of the reasons why we wanted to have the conversation today was to kind of personalize this a little bit and to have the opportunity to talk through um, sort of an individual's uh, experience with respect to uh, challenges in this regard. And, uh, you know, Louise, we're old friends. We've worked together for a long time. I, I'm delighted that you've been as forthcoming as you have been on this issue because it's so important as a leader in this department that you have been prepared to talk about some of the challenges that you faced and how you've dealt with some of those challenges. Peut-être on peut commencer un peu avec votre histoire et la situation concernant votre famille et les étantes de votre famille et des choses comme ça. Merci beaucoup, John. Ça me fait vraiment très grand plaisir d'être ici et de parler de cette question si importante. Pour moi, c'était quelque chose qui ne faisait pas partie de ma vie, la santé mentale. J'ai toujours été de très bonne humeur, de très bonne disposition. Et, et quand ça m'a frappé, j'ai été très surprise et très démunie. J'ai grandi dans une famille où, euh, avec deux grands frères, avec euh, avec des parents qui étaient très organisés, très dévoués, très euh, results oriented. J'ai deux grands frères qui ont très bien réussi dans la vie. Les attentes étaient là pour moi aussi, et ça m'arrangeait. J'étais très heureuse avec ça. Je suis à l'université, j'ai bien réussi, j'ai démarré ma carrière et et euh, de fil en aiguille, euh, je me suis rendu compte que je réussissais très très bien au travail. Je rencontrais les les attentes. J'étais heureuse. J'ai développé une famille. Je me, je me suis mariée. Ensuite la famille. Tout allait bien et, euh, et les choses se déroulaient exactement de la façon dont j'aurais voulu qu'elles se déroulent par rapport à ma carrière. Alors, euh, euh, j'ai fait un cheminement, euh, une jeune fille de la ville de Québec qui finalement réussit à, à faire son chemin à travers le monde. C'est quand même, quand même exceptionnel euh, et, euh, et j'étais très fière de, de ce que j'étais devenue. C'est difficile, il faut en parler. We, we shouldn't be shy about saying that I was very proud to work for the department, proud to be a diplomat, but I was a diplomat 24-7. You know, it never really leaves you when you're, especially when you're posted abroad, as you know, you're a diplomat when you're shopping for your groceries, because when you're accounting people, they ask you what you do. You represent your country all the time, so you have to be on, you have to excel. Yeah. And for a long, long time, for me, I excelled on that adrenaline. I mean, if we had a crisis to manage, whether uh, when I was posted in Japan or in Paris later or in Washington where you and I were together, I would actually thrive on it. You know, I, I liked that action. And and when when times were quiet, I was kind of lost a little bit. So I, I but what I didn't realize is over time, I'd come to, to live on that adrenaline and that and and that self-worth that I developed came from my work and came from being uh, important you know if the ambassador called me to solve a problem wow you know it felt good it felt um, so I, I kind of lost some perspective I think uh, which I think uh, we can go into what led to the, the the burnout and the complete breakdown that I had I think came from that the fact that um, I was brought up to to perform to to project, to uh, to meet expectations if not exceed them, and to uh, live a life of purpose, and but that can be dangerous sometimes if you don't know how to how to distance yourself from from what it is that that we do. I mean, I believe now that um, diplomacy is what I do; mm -hmm. it's not who I am. Mm -hmm. you know, there is a difference, mm -hmm. and it's a subtle difference. But I've learned the hard way. But I, I believe that that journey that I I went on, we can talk about it, what it looked like, because I think that's important to talk about, what it, you know, the symptoms, how, how that destabilization happens. Um, but what I've learned through it is that, in, not to mistake intensity from effectiveness, 
And sometimes uh, I, I brought too much intensity to what I did and it came, it came at a cost. The other lesson that I learned is for a long, long time, all my mentors were men. And there were people that I looked up for, look, looked up to, and people that guided my career. And um, when I became a manager myself, I managed like them, because it had been something that I found to be effective and something I looked up to. But really, deep down, it wasn't me. It wasn't a true me. Mm -hmm. I had to, uh, and that journey as a manager, where I realized that what had made me effective and become a manager and, and advance in the department is not what was needed of me anymore as a leader or as a supervisor. Mm. Well, there's, there's a lot there. And thank you. Uh, you know, I, I guess what you've described is resonant, I think, for a lot of us. I think this is a department where people tend to come because they feel passionately about the work that they're doing. It's a, a vocation as much as it's a career. And I think you've highlighted some of the challenges that can come with that if you don't kind of put that in some perspective or have uh, some degree of limit around around your professional life as opposed to your personal life. But I guess you, you've alluded to it. Maybe could you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what precipitated the uh, burnout that you experienced? Well, I was in Paris at the time and I was uh, director of the, well, actually it was after that time where I was director of the Centre Culturel de Paris, uh, du Canada Paris. And what started to happen is I had a, it was a difficult working environment. Uh, we had, uh, it first started with difficult working relations with staff who had, it was at the time where we uh, were doing, uh, pulling back the public diplomacy budgets. Right. And uh, the staff there were taking that very personally and it was, it was they were going through their own turmoil. Um, but they were, you know, it, I became the personification of that to them since I was the manager putting in place. So that was difficult. Um, but it was also a time where we were going through DRAP more generally and letting go people and, and having difficult conversations. And, and, um, but I don't want to really say that it was only that. I think it was a lifetime built up of having really used up the battery energy as well. But in that, in that circumstance, leading up to the, the cuts, I was acting like a manager, a no-nonsense manager. And, and really, I was, I, was, I was a bit tough. I mean, I think people who know me from those days to now say that I've completely changed my management style. So I felt that I needed to be tough and decisive, and that was a way to be. But that was really, it wasn't who I was, although I didn't know that at the time. So for about a year, I started developing all sorts of physical symptoms that were very worrisome and worried the doctors. And so at the beginning, whether it was paralysis in my face, okay. whether it was heart palpitation, um, I was having all sorts of other symptoms, uh, night sweats, uh, you name it. I think I, I think I must have Googled every single symptoms in, in the book. It, and every time... We investigated with my doctors a symptom, and it turned out to be nothing. The pain or the the turmoil in me moved to something else, and so then it was another symptom that would uh, that would appear, and then we'd go down that road, and that led to a lot of anxiety related to you know did I have cancer? Was I? And so I I, I spun out of control there, where it came to a point where I was at the office. It was around the time where the prime minister came four times in a short period of time. It was under Sarkozy's uh, presidency where he was, and it was during the Arab Spring, and they were hosting Syrian coalition groups in Libya, and was, you know, this was the stuff that I had lived to be part of, and all of a sudden it was here, and all I could do is focus on calling the doctor because I was feeling unwell, searching for what was happening to me. 
And I remember one day it was a press conference. Prime Minister, after a, a meeting, gave a press conference. I was standing in the pack, and I became so dizzy. I couldn't be in the crowd. I became claustrophobic. In the, you know, these are things that never had happened to me before. So to cut it short, finally, at the end of all of this, um, my doctor said, there's nothing wrong physically with you. Uh, and that was not the answer that I wanted to hear. Yeah. Because um, if something is wrong with you physically, you, you know, what do we do? You know, how do we treat it? And uh, when something is wrong with your psyche, there's no roadmap. There's no, you know, and the doctor can offer you a prescription and maybe to go see a, a psychologist, but you're, you know, you're, and you don't know when you're going to get better, if you're going to get better. I ended up having to stop work altogether. And, and I will never forget what uh, Kim Butler told me at the time. He was the number two at the embassy in Paris. Um, and he had the full support of Marc Lorty, who was also exemplary as ambassador. Kim told me, he said, Louise, he said, you know what? He says, don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad. There's a ledger, and I'm looking at it, and the department owes you a lot. Hmm. You can take the time hmm. to get better. And that, I cannot tell you how important those words were to me because hmm. I felt so responsible because when you're posted abroad, you, you know, there's a lot that comes with it. We, we have responsibility, where we're being housed. I had children in school. What if I lost it completely as well? I mean, you know, my whole livelihood was going to be up, uprooted. But those words meant that at least I had a month or two to just try to heal. And that was the kind of space. So when you're asking, Heather, what can a manager do? Uh, that kind of validation, I think, goes a very long way. Because uh, anyone admitting to, uh, and I've had a lot of people uh, as a manager, I've had a lot of people uh, ask for, you know, getting leave, medical leave, and very few of them will admit it's mental leave. They'll make, they'll go out of their way to get the doctor to make a very, uh, you know, nondescript um, uh, line. But in my case, I decided to come out and just say it's, I'm, I'm unwell I'm right. mentally. And it was accepted. So then after that, I went and I, I put all the passion and the, all my drive into getting better. And it took three months and I tried everything. And uh, from acupuncture to meditation to uh, uh, Qigong to uh, medication. I mean, I tried everything under the uh, and uh, going to nature, doing, uh, you know, consulting with new age gurus. I mean, I was I was trying to get better. And, and wh where did you find support to kind of. Um, identify the things that were available to you, the various things that you tried? Well, um, friends, uh, the internet, uh, I used the service. I did not use the, the, the departmental services uh, very much at the time. I have since, uh, and they're extremely good. But I, I really focused on getting better, but I, I cannot paint a pretty picture. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could hardly get out of bed in the morning. I was mm -hmm. so caught up and so anxious. So I wasn't functioning, really. I wasn't eating. I lost a lot of weight. Um, and I don't know still to this day what... It wasn't any one thing mm -hmm. that brought me to, um, to uh, not just healing, but uh, I would say a renaissance, a renewal mm -hmm. of who I am. I'm stronger today than I was 10 years ago prior mm -hmm. to this happening mm -hmm. to me. I firmly believe that. But one of the things that did guide me later on, at the time I, I, I fought it, I, I told him he was crazy, but one of these people I consulted said, um, you're not being authentic at work. You're not really revealing the real you. Right. And it's, it's killing you. Right. And uh, literally. And when I got back to the office, it was funny. It was, and, and he said to me something shocking. He said, you have to love your employees. And I'm going, what? Hmm. 
love, employees. Emotions is for the home. I, you don't have emotions at the office. I mean, that was my reaction. They're going to think I'm crazy. And he said, no, he says, provide them with unconditional love and how you manage them. And you'll see, uh, you'll be happier. And I do. Mm. Mm. I do. It's, 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 it sounds corny to say, but it makes me happier to, and they don't know that. I mean, they wouldn't, I mean, you'd have to ask them, but I'm not doting. I'm not doting on them. But in my heart, when I'm interacting with them, I, I come from a place of love. It's, it's hard to say, but, uh, you know, I, I admit it because it works. And uh, it doesn't mean I'm not serious. It doesn't mean I'm not, you know, advancing what we're doing. But, um, but I deeply care about the people around me at the office, whereas I, I didn't before. Uh, there was a wall. Hmm. That's fascinating. I, I must say I've... I thought along those lines that, uh, you know, these are intense experiences we live professionally um, and we go through them together because the nature of the work that we do, whether it's at a mission or in a division or whatever, is in a community. Um, it's very rare we do something entirely by ourselves. And that kind of, there's an attachment that comes with that that is an emotional attachment as well as being a professional attachment. And those are real things. And they matter a lot They because ultimately, you know, we're supporting each other as we're doing this work. And uh, I, I, that's interesting. I've never heard it put quite the way that you were advised, but I think there's there's a real wisdom there. It's fascinating. So the cumulative effect of the work that you did um, in the sense of, you know, investigating all of these avenues, if somebody were at the beginning of the process that you were at when the doctor gave you the diagnosis such as it was that that um, you were given what would you say to that person what would you say to yourself now based on the experience that you've had the very first thing I would say is it's going to get better mm -hmm. is to provide hope mm -hmm. I um, that's the very first thing to say um, I, I think uh, I had a friend that told me that because she had gone through something similar and that was key because when you're in that hole at that time, that is all that you see. And it's really hard while you want to get better. And that's the number one, the number one preoccupation. But you, the stress you put on yourself to try to get better sometimes is self-defeating. But if you know that it may take time, but you will get on the other side. I think that sense of hope is so very, very, um, very important. So that's number one. Um, the, the other one that I would say is don't rush it. As uncomfortable as it is, and it's uncomfortable to feel the way I felt. I, I wanted to sleep. I wanted to, I wanted to do anything I could to numb that feeling. It's a terrible feeling. And, um, but you have to be with it and accept it, accept that it's happening. And for the longest time, what was preventing my recovery and, and my learning from the experience was the fact that I didn't accept that it was happening. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I felt sorry for myself. I felt sorry for why is this happening to me? And I look for solutions in all the wrong places um, when the solution is really often within ourselves. If we're willing to go there and, and, and let it come out in its own good time. And it's layers by layers, day by day. I started to feel better. 
Um, but it took a long, long time. I mean, three months is a long time when you're not feeling, and when you're abroad and you're at home and you're having to call the office and say, not this month, I can't go back, I'm not ready. Um, and uh, you, you can feel defeated very quickly. Mm -hmm. So the important thing is there's no, there's not any one recipe. My recipe is not necessarily somebody else's recipe to get better, but there is there because it's an individual process. And I'm, I'm convinced that it needed to happen. I was meant to have this breakdown. And um, it has opened up a whole new life for me now that I was not living. I was half living, I think. So if you open yourself to be able to say, even when you're experiencing it, it this is happening for a reason. And maybe it isn't, but at the very least, it, you can learn from it. Right. And the fact that now I'm a more uh, sympathetic and I have more empathy in my relationship in the office means that I am at the very least not causing damage to people around me and at best maybe helping them. And I'm pretty, I've got, I've had a few cases, I think perhaps I've had the opportunity and the great privilege to actually help some people. Right. Uh, but I think a lot of us managers without even knowing, I did this before my break, breakdown. I don't, I think I caused stress. I think I probably did do harm in some people around me. Um, I wish I could apologize to them. And a few of them I have called and told them, like, I'm sorry. I see now that I didn't understand what you were going through. And people that I now recognize in retrospect that probably were going through a struggle mm -hmm. and I didn't have the patience for it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I think now of all the, at least at the very least, I don't harm people anymore. And I think that's, that's why I think I needed to go through this. And um, yeah. Well, I would say, I mean, we were just saying before we started recording um, that you, and I've heard you say this a couple of times now, that you, when you have done public presentations that, you know, you were talking about the work of the UN and the sort of the substantive issues, but very often what people want to talk about is actually the mental health aspect of, of your career and, you know, your experience there and I mean, it suggests to me, among other things, just that there's a huge pent-up demand to have these conversations. Um, it's one of the reasons why having the conversation today is important, is just a further opportunity to uh, kind of draw out some of these issues that can be extraordinarily difficult for people. I guess the thing, uh, so you've given us some picture of your kind of management style now as a result of the experiences you went through, but just as an individual, sort of, how do you manage your own mental health now? What, because you're obviously in a very different place than you were when you went through these experiences. Mm -hmm. But how do you maintain yourself? So, you know, hopefully this won't be a, um, too shocking. But I did go from measuring people's commitment to the office sometimes, how quickly they would respond to an email on the weekend, right? And I would get impatient if, you know, something's going on and he's not replying. Um, to now basically thinking twice, three times, four times before I send an email on the weekend. Because I know that even if I say on the title, don't need to respond now, I know that the person receiving it, um, one of my employees, will feel responsible to, to, to write back. So it's just an example of I have, I now, I, I've put some boundaries between work and my private life that didn't exist before. And uh, you can count on me in any event if there's an emergency, but I do not use work to make me feel important. 
and times outside of work where I really believe I used to do that. I felt pretty important if I was, you know, I needed to, oh, I'm too busy interrupting a dinner with something. It was, it sounds foolish now to say, but I did. And now I've changed all that. And I keep a, a healthy distance between the work and me. And I don't get emotionally, you know, it's funny, the differences. I get emotionally drawn into the relationship in the office and care, caring for my staff, but I don't get emotionally drawn into the issues. And at the UN right now, as you know, we're mm. running for a seat for Security Council. I mean, that's pretty much the Olympics of, of diplomacy. You know, it's, it's out there. And if you want stress, you know, it's by the spoonful every day because the stakes are so high and the team is so driven. And I'm able to navigate through that stress extremely well because I keep a distance mm -hmm. to, you know, to, and I don't focus on things I don't control. Mm -hmm. Don't dwell on that. And I just focus on what I can change and can actually do. Uh, outside of that, of course, I do what a lot of people do. I, I stay healthy and uh, yoga and meditation is something now that's part of my life. And I, I try to take holidays, but that one I'm just not, this is difficult these days. But I tried to, I recently went on a sailing trip and I told the staff, I said, look, I, uh, I did a bit of a fib. I didn't know if I was going to be connected. We were on the water. I didn't know. So I said, well, just assume I can't be, I can't be reached. And they were good. They did not try to call me. And I, there was a moment there I'm thinking, hmm, the world doesn't need me maybe. And then I just smiled and then adjusted the sail and kept going because I thought that's the point, isn't it? And, you know, when you leave behind your staff and you say, look, I trust you, you're in charge. Right, they, that's exactly right. That's the message they want to know. They, yeah, they You exactly know, right. you need to empower them. And, and if, you, if you just say, no, you know, you always need to check with me for everything, that's not my style of managing anymore. Yeah. And now... When things are not done the way I would have done them, unless they really messed up, I go, that's the way that they did it, and it's, it's okay. I don't, I don't try to perfect things the way that I used to and make them the way that I, I see them. And I've learned to work with people in the process. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and I'm better today at uh, leveraging complementarity in the team than before. I made the mistake that we, many of us do where I wanted everyone to work like me before. Mm -hmm. And, and then now I realize the foolishness of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but so that's the difference now. And maybe it's a species of the same question that I asked Heather, but as, as an organization, what can we be doing in order to improve um, our support for people uh, and you know, encourage the, the greatest degree of mental health possible? Well, I, I think um, that's a big question. There's a few very concrete things that we, um, I'm not going to uh, dwell on, but I think the, the bigger picture, I think, is to, as an organization, to recognize, first and foremost, that we are, um, that the culture of the organization at the moment is uh, conducive to, uh, if not causing, acerbating um, mental health. So because of the, what we, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, we're devoted to our work, it's a competitive environment, our promotional processes in itself, in themselves, generate a lot of stress and anxiety and wasted, you know, negative uh, feelings, unfortunately. The fact that we were posted all over the world, way, way away from families, some in very difficult circumstances, um, I think is, is obviously, uh, uh, makes the department unique. So I think there's... I don't, I don't think we can ever do enough to, to try to change um, that and, and alleviate. I don't think we're ever going to solve it all. I think we have to accept that. But I think we have to look at 
every step of the way diffusing some of those stress points. And I just said the promotional process, it's a perennial problem. I was in HR for a while and 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 I can tell you if you want to know when the stress level goes in the organization, oh, run a process. So how do we how do we solve that? I don't know. I don't have the answer, but I think we should really look at it. Continue. I know uh, Francis Trudel and his team are doing great work looking at that, and uh, but I think it's a uh, it's an area where I think it's it uh, it behooves us I think to to find a way to to improve. Well, and maybe more just the way you've put that I think is pretty profoundly important that we need to be thinking about the mental health aspects of things that. You know, we haven't necessarily always, uh, it's a lens through which we could view some of the processes that we create. And that's, that's I think, critically important. Even if, you, as you say, we can't solve all problems, we should be mindful of, of the, uh, the problems we can solve. And I think, I think we need to have more honest conversation with employees and uh, not just about mental health, but about their career trajectory. I think we, I think it's it's complex is mm -hmm. the way that I would respond to that. But mm -hmm. um, I think we've come a long way. But I think we have we have ways to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, look, thank you very much. That's je pense c'était une conversation assez riche et évidemment absolument importante. And I, you know, I think the willingness of people to speak about these situations is just so critical to us being able to kind of. Uh, improve um, in these areas. And so I uh, thank you very much for your leadership in this regard. It really matters. It matters to us, I think, as an institution, but I think it matters for the for the government generally that people be prepared to talk about their situations. Um, and it obviously, it is absolutely critical for us as an institution that we maximize the skills and the talents of the people who work here. And one of the ways to do that is to encourage their mental health. So uh, it's been a real pleasure chatting. Thank you very much. And thank you to you too, uh, Heather. This, is, this has been uh, terrific. And I, I don't know whether this is truly in the tradition of David Morrison, who, of course, is the godfather of this podcast. But uh, I found this a very helpful conversation. So thank you to both of you. Merci, thank Monsieur Souvenir. Merci, John. <laughs> thank you for listening. And we look forward to you joining us for future episodes of The GAC Files. Merci d'avoir écouté le balado et nous espérons que vous vous joindrez à nous pour les épisodes futurs des dossiers d'AMC. If you have feedback or suggestions for future topics or guests, please send us an email at x.ldce at international.gc.ca. Si vous avez des commentaires ou des suggestions concernant des sujets futurs ou de nouveaux invités, veuillez nous envoyer un courriel à Extot, traduction LDCE, à commercial international.gc.ca.